This morning, I'm going to ask you to wade off in some deep water with me. We're going to talk about some passages in 1 Corinthians that we normally avoid because sometimes we don't really understand them. Apparently, Paul was talking to the Corinthians about these things because they'd already just about drowned in these shallow spiritual waters. You know how much water it takes for a 140-pound person to drown? One-fourth of a cup, that's all. One-fourth of a cup inhaled into the lungs of a person who weighs 140 pounds can cause drowning. Not a lake, not an ocean, not a river, just one-fourth of a cup. Likewise, in these very shallow spiritual waters, many a sincere believer has suffered great harm. And we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. We're talking about Paul's letter to the broken church of Corinth. But our emphasis today is going to be on uh, continuing to explore the work of the Holy Spirit. So here we go, verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the, by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, the question we've raised over the last several Sundays as we've talked about spiritual gifts is, does the Holy Spirit manifest himself through these gifts today? And my answer has been to you, it is just as he wills, to whom he wills, where he wills, and when he wills. It is completely up to the Holy Spirit. But our problem is, is that we lose focus. The greater gift is the one with a capital G is the gift of the Spirit himself. The lesser gifts are all begin with a lower letter G, and those are the outward, perceptible, visible, outshining activities of the Holy Spirit as he chooses, when he chooses, where he chooses, and through whom he chooses to work. So what about the gift of tongues. Do you know that there are only three books in the New Testament that have any mention of tongues? Out of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is only one verse that says anything about tongues, and that's in the Gospel of Mark. The other two books in the New Testament where it's found are the book of Acts, found in chapter 2, found in chapter 10, and found in chapter 19. And then the book of 1 Corinthians, where there are only two chapters, chapter 12 and chapter 14. And outside of that, there are no mention to tongues in all the rest of the Bible. And that's the conclusion of the discussion of tongues in the Old Testament. Paul seems to give uh, the greatest attention uh, to this church at Corinth, this broken church, who was drowning in this idea of things that were happening in their church. So I want to show you today that between the book of Acts and between the book 
of 1 Corinthians, we have two distinctly different gifts. You can write that down. I'm going to show that to you and make it as plain as day using the scripture. Now, if I'm a Baptist, what I believe about tongues is not important. What the Bible says about tongues is all important. If I am a Pentecostal, what I believe about tongues is not important. What the Bible says about tongues is all important. So this morning we hope to allow the Bible to speak. I take you to the second chapter of the book of Acts and remind you of what was happening there. There were 120 believers gathered together. That's the number that we're given uh, in the book of Acts. They were all together in one place. The Holy Spirit fell uh, and they began to speak. Verse 4, they began to, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they began to speak uh, with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. They were all Jews, but they didn't all speak Hebrew. They may have spoken Hebrew. They may have been able to function there, like you might be able to function in Spanish. If you went to Mexico, you could ask for the bathroom. You could ask for something to eat. You could ask for some water but you couldn't communicate, certainly. They could function. They may have been able to function in the Greek world, but they all came from different countries and had different languages. And so they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing, the Bible says, in his own language. Whatever else you want to say about what happened on that day, you have to admit that the Spirit was speaking through these men uh, the voices were theirs. The languages were not. This was recognizable to those who were listening so much so. The Bible tells us in verse 8 of Acts chapter 2 that these men that were hearing said, How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts around Libya, around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. The word here is the word they hear them. They said we are hearing it in our own dialect. Now, again, they might have spoken the Greek language across the empire. They may have been able to function in Greek. But the language their mama talked to them, the language their mother spoke when, when they sat on their mother's lap, their heart language. They said, this is what we hear. We hear our heart language. We don't hear Greek. We don't hear Hebrew. We hear our heart language. And from that, I would like to say to you today that the language of the Holy Spirit is still the language of the heart. The simplest, most precious voice that you will ever hear will be the voice of God's Spirit as He speaks to your heart and speaks to you about your need of Him. Now, was the fact that they were gifted to speak in these languages the greatest miracle that happened that day? No. The greater miracle of the moment was that as a result of this outpouring, 3,000 people came to know Christ. Is there any mention that any of these 3,000 people spoke in tongues? No. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, not all speak with tongues. Do they? 
And without any other outpouring or corresponding miracle, the church continued to grow. In Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47, it talks about how God worked mightily in that group, but there's no mention of them speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 3 and then in Acts chapter 4, 4, 4, verse 4, we learn that many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000, but neither Peter who preached nor any of the 5,000 were said to have spoken in tongues. In Acts chapter 5, more and more believers, in fact, multitudes were constantly added to their number, but there is not one word about tongues. And then in chapter 6, as it moves from chapter 5 to chapter 6, it talks about how in the temple every day from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah, and the disciples were increasing in number, but there's no record of any of them speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 8, we see how the, the Holy Spirit used Philip, the deacon, mightily as an evangelist in Samaria. But not one of those people spoke in tongues. And in Acts chapter 9, we see the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. But neither he nor anyone around him was said to have spoken in tongues. It's not until we come to the 10th chapter of the book of Acts that we find the tongues of Pentecost appearing again. Now, if you want to find how it's the same or how it's different than what happens in Corinthians, let me just show you that it occurs in a multicultural setting. Peter finds himself at the home of a man named Cornelius, who is an Italian, and he has gathered his friends and family there. Maybe even his mother was there. And so here is Cornelius listening to the gospel and those who were with him. And the Bible says in verses 44 through 47 that when when Peter communicated the gospel, it says the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers, all the Jews who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them. Notice that's important. It'll be important in a little bit. They were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And here again in the book of Acts, the tongues is given as the gift of communication. Men were speaking to men and the message was discernible and translatable. And so, so far it's happened only in Acts 2 and Acts 10, and it happened in a multicultural uh, setting, and it was the gift of communication. It was men who were gifted to speak in a language they, were, they had never heard were able to declare to other men the message exalting God is what the Scripture says. In Acts chapter 11, verses 20 and 21, some Greek-speaking disciples went to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks. But there's no mention of speaking in tongues. Throughout 12, 13, 14, and 15, we see God's work continuing with no mention of tongues. Not until we come to Acts 19 do we find tongues appearing again. There are a group of 12 disciples at Ephesus who had been poorly instructed, baptized with John's baptism, and they said, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul pointed them to Jesus. They were baptized. He laid their hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak with tongues prophesying we'll define prophesying in just a moment 
Paul heard them. They were speaking. He understood what they were saying without a doubt. So in the book of Acts, here's the definition, here's the distinction. In the book of Acts, tongues expands the gospel, reaches the minds and hearts of unbelievers, and gives open and understandable praise to God. That's what we see tongues do in the book of Acts. I'm going to say it again. It reaches the ears and minds and hearts of unbelievers and gives open and understandable praise of God to men. But when we come to the only other mention of tongues in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it is a different gift with a different purpose, with different parameters. And so I'm going to outline that for you in the scripture. We're going to first look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. And Paul said, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church. And I want to show you this list. And I want to show you that every list listed in 1 Corinthians of the gifts of the Spirit and in the book of Ephesians. It's also in the book of Ephesians, by the way. There's no reference to it being used, but it's listed as a gift. Here, here, here's where it's found. He says, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 28, You are Christ's body, individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first, we talked about that last week, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, then helps, then administrations, then various kinds of tongues. In every list, it's always last. Now, the reason for that is not because Paul didn't consider tongues at Corinth a spiritual gift. However, he makes the case and lays it out that it was not a gift that edified the church. Now, who was addressed in Acts through the use of tongues? Men, people, because these tongues were discernible, translatable languages. It was the ability to speak in a language one had never heard for the purpose of communication. What did Paul have to say about tongues in Corinth? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 2. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you prophesy for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. Well, I thought that's who they spoke to in the book of Acts. They did. They spoke to men. But Paul says one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. There is the biblical distinction between the tongues in the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians. I hope you see the clear difference. Listen to what was said about tongues and acts. Those who heard said, we hear them in our own tongues, in our own dialects, speaking the mighty deeds of God. And when he says in verse 2 here, he says, no one understands. And then in verse 14, he says this. If you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks? Since he does not know what you are saying, for you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person as not, is not edified. So what happened as a result of tongues and acts? Thousands were saved. What happens as a result of the public use of this gift in Corinth? No one understands. Not even the person with the gift understands. 
and the only person edified is the person with the gift. Paul says in verse 6 of chapter 14, I wish that all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. In reference to the gift of tongues, Paul said, if anybody does this, there has to be somebody there who can explain it because without the presence of someone who can explain it, the other person just needs to be quiet. That's in verses 26 through 28 because he says he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Why is there a need for a validation or interpreter? Because anybody can get up and babble something and call it a spiritual gift and seem to be spiritual. But the scripture clearly says there needs to be someone on hand who God gives to understand what it has been said. And it's the same with prophecy. Chapter 14, verses 29 through 32. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. So even prophecy needs a validation. It needs some witness of the spirit that comes through someone else. So simply put, Paul says to this church at Corinth that a tongue is out of place in public worship without a corresponding validation. Look at what he says in verses 7 through 9. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in tone, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle plays an indistinct sound, who will prepare for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Verse 19, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's not diminishing the gift, but he's just making it clear. This is not a gift for the church. It doesn't build up the church. It doesn't help anyone in the church. As a matter of fact, the only one that helps, the only person that makes feel spiritual or even close to God is the person who uses it. On the other hand, in the truly spirit-empowered church, you're going to be seeking a clear word from God. Why? Because everybody needs to hear a clear word from God. Lost people desperately need to hear about God. They don't need to see how spiritual they, we think we are. They need to experience God. And Paul says this. He says, look, this is what's going to happen. If unbelievers come in the door of your church, or ungifted people come in the door of your church, and everybody's speaking in a tongue, this is what the Bible says. Verses 24 well, I'm, I'm a little ahead of myself. I need to get back. I need to get back a verse. That's what he says happens if all prophesy. He says, look, if you, if you do this and people come in your church, he said, verse 22, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? And they're not talking about being angry. They're saying they'll think that you're out of your mind because they won't have a clue about what you're saying. And it won't do them any good at all. That is clearly what the Bible says. On the other hand, in verses 24 and 25, Paul said, if I'll prophesy, and by the way, we need to go back to verse 2 of 14, 
and see the biblical definition of, in the New Testament of what it means to prophesy. One who prophesies speaks to men. Wait, wait, wait. Speaks to who? Speaks to men. For edification, for exhortation, and consolation. And the one who speaks in a tongue only speaks to himself and to God. So he says, if I'll prophesy, and remember what did we say about Old Testament prophets did? What did they do? They pointed to Jesus. That's what they did. They pointed to Jesus. And what do New Testament prophets do? They point people to Jesus. If you prophesy in the church, what should you be doing? You should be pointing people to Jesus. Your Sunday school lessons should be pointing people to Jesus. Your testimony should be pointing people to Jesus. Your songs should be pointing people to Jesus. And if we all are pointing people to Jesus and an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring God is certainly among you. In other words, what will happen? He will hear the language of the Spirit. God will speak to him clearly because the language of the Spirit is not some unknown language floating around out there. It's the language of the heart. That's the way God speaks. He speaks so that you can clearly understand it. Look, How's a little eight-year-old boy going to know that Jesus loves him? Well, certainly the Bible can tell him. But so can you as his Sunday school teacher. You can speak to him and let him hear the language of the Spirit, which is the language of the heart. You can't speak to his heart. How's a 75-year-old person, when I'm preaching, going to hear the language of the Spirit? If I'm talking about Jesus and I'm telling them about the Scripture and they can clearly understand, the Scripture, can, the Holy Spirit can communicate clearly speaking to that person because He cares about them and He loves them. That's what God wants us to know. Be very careful about people who come to you and say, oh, you need to do this or you need to do that. Paul says, no, it's, all God's gifts aren't for everybody. But if you're going to get one, Get one where you can clearly share with other people the great things that God has done and point them to the cross. Maybe that's what the Lord is doing in your life today. Maybe through the song service, you have some hurts, some scars that need to be healed. Only the Lord can do that. The church can't do it. I can't do it. You have prayer needs. You have concerns. Those need to be laid before the Lord. There's no special person you couldn't get the Pope to come and pray a better prayer for you than you can pray for yourself, whether you're Catholic or Baptist, or the preacher to pray a better prayer for you. If you get down on your knees, just like the person did in the New Testament, we talked about that this week. One of them stood proudly, lifted his head, and talked to God. The other said, God, I can't even lift my head to pray. I'm just a sinner. Please be merciful to me. God heard that person. God communicates clearly. And you can communicate clearly and easily with him. The one thing you need to be is just sincere and real. Would you pray with me?